On to Coachella, which just wrapped up its first weekend out in uh, California, one of the world's biggest, if not maybe the biggest, outdoor music festival, and certainly lots of headlines coming out of uh, Coachella after a weekend number one. And here to talk about that is music expert Eric Elper. He joins us on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Eric, good afternoon. I'm live from the backyard thinking about Coachella. <laughs> well, listen, uh, the first question, the big question I've got, we were debating this uh, earlier today uh, upstairs uh, in the office because one of the big headlines from Coachella from the weekend is Ariana Grande. She brought out a reunited sync, but, and this is a big but, without Justin Timberlake. So in your estimation, music expert Eric Helper, is that a true reunion? Um. Kind of. You know, it's interesting that the audience for Ariana Grande probably doesn't even remember NSYNC the first time around. They weren't even born by the time that they split up. What it really comes down to, I think, when you're a fan is what actually gives the band the identity? How much can you change in a personnel within that group until people start turning away? And we've seen in the last number of years or even decades Artists from the 50s and 60s, like the Temptations or the Four Tops, uh, the Marvelettes, the Miracles, all of those bands from the Motown era, like the 60s or so, they're still out there playing casinos right around the world. And there's no original members left. In fact, a, a great deal of them have, you know, somebody's cousin or somebody's um, uncle that's in the band that's long past the due date of of when they last had their hit. But it's okay, because those people are there for the music. I think when you have NSYNC, I think the headline is always going to be that Ariana Grande brought out NSYNC, but then in the subheading, it's going to be, but without Justin Timberlake, one of the biggest music stars on the planet. Right, and by the way, it isn't like Justin is just too big for everybody. Uh, He was legit busy, right? He was just wrapping up his own tour, I believe. He wouldn't come back anyway. I mean, Justin is always... No, no, because I think for Justin, I think it's not a fun thing to do. I think that it's a step back, and then you have to deal with the media for the next year, asking when the next reunion show is going to be, as if they care. Um, But realistically, I'm not so sure that Justin would want to even do that. We saw uh, a number of kind of reunions this weekend at Coachella where Weezer brought out the band Tears for Fears to perform their biggest hit, Everybody Wants to Rule the World. But Kurt Smith, who sings vocals on the on the, on the, on the Tear for Fear song was there. Roland Orzabal, the guy who wrote it and the guitarist and the leader of the band wasn't. So is that okay? And I kind of think, yeah, I think that you're allowed to say that Tears for Fears showed up at Weezer's set. But again, it really comes down to, I think most of the time, it's just the lead singer people seem to have a problem with. And we've seen that in the last little bit with the Fleetwood Mac reunion chores um, and, and the Who coming back and the Stones coming back. I think if you take away Roger Daltrey or Mick Jagger and those respective bands, I think it's all over for both of them. Yeah. Roland Orzabal, by the way, he was just wrapping his world tour as well, I believe. That's why he was not available. But uh, <laughs> Let's go on and uh, talk about uh, Coachella in uh, general. I want to talk about the growth of this uh, festival. And can you give us a little history, uh, Eric, where this festival, uh, where it began, where it was, and uh, what it has grown into today? Yeah, you know, Coachella really started off being in the desert, which is where um, the whole experience 
of going to a music festival really began because in North America, it used to be that you drove somewhere to uh, an arena or a shed like the, you know, like we have with the Molson Amphitheater or, you know, places like that where it's a destination, but it's a little cold, there's a building, there's a roof. And then all of a sudden in America, especially around California and Las Vegas, you started to see places where you had to go to and you're there. You're stuck there for a weekend, but it's glamping. It's more like you're staying on the ground, but it's a little bit luxurious. Um, there's lots of food. There's lots of, of things to do there. And that's where the whole experience aspect that every music festival now is kind of forced to have. It's not just going and sitting around and waiting for the show to begin. It's what else can you do while you're there? Do they have a Ferris wheel? How many food trucks are there? What other kind of contests or giveaways do they have while you're there? And so Coachella, when they first started, it was just only one weekend. And it turned out that they realized that they could actually make double the money booking artists for two weekends, playing almost the exact same sets with the exact same lineup in order to make sure that everybody who wants to go can go. And that's where we are now with one of the world's biggest music festivals, which is so rare in North America. Yeah, and has it lost its way, do you think, a little bit? Has it gotten too far from its roots, uh, Eric? Uh, I was reading uh, one review uh, this morning that said that uh, Coachella has lost uh, whatever intimacy it might have had, that even the performers really aren't singing to the audience as much as they are, and they cited uh, the Beyonce documentary, which was a big moment when Beyonce played uh, Coachella. It's going to be featured in this uh, Netflix documentary that debuts on Wednesday, but that more and more artists are doing this towards an eye to something like that or or a YouTube uh, moment, kind of like Ariana Grande bringing out NSYNC and trying to make headlines outside of the festival, that Coachella, the experience has changed and maybe not for the better. I, I completely agree with you 100%. I'm glad that you brought up that Beyonce Netflix special because I think like an indie band in Toronto playing to 25 people at a club, I tell them all the time, it doesn't matter how many people are actually in front of you on the stage. What matters is what you actually do with that show. Can you get content out of it? Can you go live on Facebook? Can you go live on, on Instagram or YouTube? So the actual venue and the actual show, it's just a show for the X amount of people that are in front of you but what can you parlay that into afterwards and obviously with all of these artists not necessarily hurting for the low amount of money that the streams on music streaming services are providing but it's looking towards what else can we do with this and even though that a lot of the artists are having a full-on stadium like show with lights and sound and all sorts of different um you know physical stuff on their stage to make it look like it's just not your average you know 15 minute 25 minute performance um it's it's what can we do with netflix what can we do with youtube what can we do on Facebook. And I think that's what is happening. I think the other big reason is that in the UK, especially in England, where these kind of festivals have been going for decades, it's a new thing for a North American artist to play to this many people at once. And I, I think the whole losing their way and losing the soul, I think, again, I think that's just a media angle, but I'm not so sure that the artist would ever turn down the opportunity to play in front of 70,000 people a weekend.
Sure. But is it kind of a full circle moment? Because uh, I know you and I have talked about this in the past that uh, audiences that show up and they're not uh, really giving the artists their full atten- attention. They're busy with their phones and they're trying to capture the moment and live stream it or put it up on their Instagram as quickly as possible to, to get likes. And it's almost now like that's happening on the stage. That the artists are more concerned about uh, moving this uh, out and onto the Internet than uh, maybe sometimes performing for the crowd on hand. Yeah, and we've seen this a lot with that kind of philosophy, especially this weekend with BTS, arguably the the world's biggest boy band, appearing on Saturday Night Live this weekend. BTS actually helped SNL more than SNL ever helped BTS. And so what we're finding is that when... Uh, Lily Singh, for instance, a comedian from Toronto, ends up getting the open spot on Late Night on NBC. It's not really about bringing her demographic to the television set, trying to get them to stay up well past midnight to watch their hero and perform. It's a matter of what what happens the morning after does it trend on Twitter once you start to put the videos up there and I think that the artists and the fans are are quickly got into that mindset of it's really all about the experience because I think if you're an audience member too if you're going to Coachella you know that you're going to be barely watching the screen so it's all about as well as letting people know that you're there making them feel jealous that you're actually having a wonderful life and they're not (laughs) I got to leave it there. Eric Alper, appreciate the time as always, my friend. We'll talk soon. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Music expert Eric Alper with us.